You're listening to the Ifley Road podcast, a series of informal chats with our friends from the world of sport, where we talk about fitness, lifestyle, running and more. So grab a coffee, kick off your trainers, relax and enjoy. Visit us at ifleyroad.com. Welcome to this Ifley Road podcast. I'm Bill Byrne. And I'm Claire Kent. In this episode, we're talking to Olympic triathlete and Commonwealth silver medalist Jill Sanders about giving up her law career to follow her sporting dreams and what she's learnt along the way. Jill, thank you so much for coming along to the Ifley Road podcast today. We're just in awe of your achievements and also your modesty. But tell us about how you got into triathlon. I believe you did your first race when you were about nine. And your parents, they were both elite athletes, so you've got the genes. Yes, thanks so much, Claire, for having me here today. It's great to be here chatting to you guys. Yeah, I've been doing triathlon for a long time now. As you say, I started off when I was about nine or ten. My dad did triathlon, and um, they had a little series called the Iron Kids back in the day. So I did my first triathlon. It probably wasn't very far, but um, loved every second of it. And yeah, they got bitten by the triathlon bug there and um, carried on from there. My parents were both South African athletes. My mom was a sprinter. She ran the hundreds, 200 and 400 for South Africa. She was pretty good. Um, I can't give you her exact time for 100, but I think I was 11 something. So she was quite fast. fast. Um, Yeah, and uh, my dad was a marathon runner for South Africa, but both of them, unfortunately, weren't able to represent South Africa Mm. outside of the country because South Africa was obviously under uh, apartheid at the mm. time so they did get to compete against a few rebel um tours i think but uh yeah both solid athletes and great role models for me and yeah just grew up in a household with a love for sports and outdoors and yeah. it was just natural for me to to get involved as well so were you competing much at that age then Yes, I was. I did everything at school. I didn't restrict myself to swimming, cycling and running at school. I played everything, hockey, tennis, netball. In fact, any sport that I could get my hands on, I I played, which I think is important for for young kids, just to get exposure to all different sports before specializing too early. Yeah, then I was doing quite well at running and swimming, added a bit of the cycling in and a natural progression into triathlon and went to my first world champs as a 13 year old my sister was 15 and we both competed in the same age group in Mexico it was a wonderful experience um yeah and then carried on competing as a junior elite triathlete up until the age of 18 before I went off to university to do my law degree and at university did you stick to triathlon and no, I stuck to parting, <laughs> parting for my first Very year. <laughs> um, yeah, got that out of the system. And then uh, my degree was uh, quite challenging. So I was a bit limited for time. Also wanting to have a social life and enjoy the whole social mm. experience of university. So I just ended up running track and cross country. Right. They didn't take as much time. And I mean, running's always been my favorite out of the three disciplines. So 
uh, the university I went to in Stellenbosch had a really great track and cross country division and I really had a lot of fun with my cross country and track and yeah just enjoyed those few years of of just running. So then really once you qualified as a lawyer was that it for triathlon for a little while? Um yeah I didn't really know where I was going with it at that yeah. stage I think my priorities shifted and I think I wanted uh, to focus on my legal career and becoming mm. a lawyer. So mm. I went off back to my hometown, Peter Maritzburg in South Africa, after studying down in the Cape in Stellenbosch and did my training contract. We call it articles there, but it's mm. the same thing, which is a two-year period, and then qualified. Um, and only once I'd actually qualified did I start getting back into triathlon mm. again. There was a domestic series in South Africa called the Nestle series, which is no longer running, unfortunately, because it was a great little stepping stone series for athletes, but um, competed in a domestic team there. And again, just had a lot of fun with it and rekindled my love of the sports. It was good racing. It was competitive and I wasn't doing a lot of training, but I was doing enough to still be competitive and yeah just really enjoying that as well as you know being a lawyer as well at the Mm. same time and then you came to london and i know this is sort of story about you by chance going to windsor on the day of the windsor triathlon and then that really sort of making you want to compete seriously again is that right yes so moved to london september 2008 myself and my husband now we moved over to do the whole working and traveling thing Mm. so as a professional couple so it wasn't my intention at that stage to become a a triathlete I mean a full-time triathlete so moved over here um, had probably been working for a year again just running and keeping fit and then we yeah we made a day trip to Windsor and by absolute chance it was a Windsor triathlon on that exact same day and there was a fantastic atmosphere. It was one of those beautiful English summer's days, um, loads of crowds. And I thought, wow, this is pretty cool. Um, and just noting how big triathlon had become in the UK as well. Um, I mean, I was nowhere near the same status in South Africa. So that excited me a bit. And I also knew that the London Olympics were coming up in 2012 this was now 2009 I didn't think at that point that I might want to go to the Olympics that probably happened about a year later but at that point I just decided that I'd like to get back into competitive triathlon again just by absolute chance um, found a triathlon club locally I just googled um, triathlon clubs in my area and I looked for the most qualified coach and James Beckinsale's name came up so yeah just went and trialed at the club and then really enjoyed it and things blossomed from there. So it was really there was no sort of personal connection with James Beckinsale and your coach it was just googling him. Yeah absolutely um I'd never actually had a triathlon coach per se I'd always just had a swimming coach and then kind of been self-coached or run my own training cycling and run wise so I also thought with a proper triathlon coach what I could actually do and how much I could 
possibly improve. Yeah, I wanted to see where I could go with the rights coaching. And we don't have, well, we didn't at that stage have the club system that they do in the UK here um, in South Africa. So to me, that was quite unique, having a whole group of people training together, doing sessions together and conducive to actually improving you as an athlete. I just think that's such an incredible story. So really, you only had about a two-year window between deciding on to do the Olympics and actually qualifying. Yeah, so I joined Optima Racing Team in uh, Richmond in London, I think it was, it was about October 2009. I think I'd been to the Windsor Triathlon like in July. I think that's when it is. So joined up and then I think it was exactly two years later i stopped my job and became a full-time athlete so i basically probably had a year of proper training and getting myself to a competitive age group level and then from that point deciding you know what the london olympics are in two years time i want to try and qualify and if i'm going to take this seriously i'm going to have to decide either it's the law job or becoming a professional athlete so I did try and race internationally while I was working, but that didn't really work out. Um, I remember I got a very last minute entry into the World Series Triathlon in London in Hyde Park. Yes. And um, I actually went to the briefing in my like stilettos and pencil <laughs> skirts and everything um, straight from work. And one girl had dropped out of the race, so yeah. there was one spot. So I took the spot. I raced, I came, I think, third to last out the swim. I got lapped on the bike, and once you're lapped out of the race, you can't continue. They pull you off the course, yeah. So that, to me, was a huge, like, eye-opener. I was like, okay, you can't compete at this level and have a professional job. It's just not possible. So you need to make a decision. Do you really want to qualify for the Olympics properly, or... Are you just going to give it a half-hearted, you know, approach? So I decided to stop working. <laughs> and what was it like sort of, you know, actually deciding I'm not, I, I am going to give up this great job and focus? Like, was it, did it feel like a really big decision at the time? Or did you feel like, you know, that you just had to take that risk? It was a big decision. It was it was a little bit scary. Um, it was giving up a job that had financial security, a well-paid mm. job in the city. But at the same time, to me, it was kind of like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. So it was like, um, you're only going to get this chance once. You may as well do it properly. So yeah, I guess a risk but at the same time it excited me because i knew that i could now give it a hundred percent yeah i suppose more excitement a little bit of trepidation because you never know with something like that whether it's going to work out or not but if you don't take risks in life as you guys know you know you're not gonna reap rewards i definitely don't regret the decision (laughs) and how did your work colleagues react when you said uh guys Funny you say that I had an Australian guy who I used to sit opposite mm. and I told him, I said, I'm going to qualify for the Olympics. And he just laughed at me. Yeah, I suppose maybe they thought I was a bit bonkers. Um, 
I didn't think I was bonkers and we laugh about it now. Yeah. He said, yeah, I have to eat my words. So yeah, I think they, I suppose maybe they didn't really know my background as an mm. athlete, but I guess, yeah, they did think I was a bit odd. <laughs> I can't believe you'll have just that achievement. I mean, how, from a training point of view, like how did your training regime broadly change you know, from moment you decided to your right to the run up to the Olympics? Um, the big thing with being a professional athlete mm. is more the recovery than anything else. So yes, the hours did ramp up because you've got the whole day to train. But the most important thing is the recovery and the sleep, the massage, the prehabilitation, right. um, all of that that goes with it. That's what makes the big difference. That's why it's difficult, you know, for age group athletes with full time jobs. Yeah. They're not able to get that recovery in as much. Yes, the training was different. I was doing, I was probably doing 10 hours or so, maybe 10 to 12 as an age grouper. And then, yeah, ramped that up to, to double that basically, yes. 25 hours a week. But because you're able to recover, you can do that. Did James, uh, your coach, play a big part in persuading you to give up your full-time job? Funny you say that. I think he also thought I was a bit nuts when I said to him, I'm going to go to the Olympics. But once, once I think he'd seen perhaps my potential, he, yeah, I think he believed in me, but I think mm. he still thought I was a bit crazy. And we had a bit of a difficult time the first few months um, because I, with all the extra training, mm. I was diagnosed anemic. And we didn't know at the time. So I was training, 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 and just getting more and more tired mm. and getting slower and slower, whereas I should have been going the yeah. other way. So that was a bit of a tough time. I was a bit worrying. Uh, lucky I spoke to my sister, who's a dietitian, and mm. she said, it sounds like you're iron. And I went and I got that checked, and it was like I was severely anemic. Right. So four weeks later, after supplementation, I was like a different person. And I think after that... Um, yeah, it felt like we were back on track. I think James was a bit frustrated with me during the anemia. I was frustrated with myself. Yeah. We couldn't understand why I wasn't getting faster with all this training. And it was a difficult time. But once we'd got through that, I think I did one or two races, which I did quite well in. And then, yeah, then it was like, you know, all focus and let's let's do this. Um, we interviewed James for our previous podcast. As you know, one of the things he really spoke about was the importance, I suppose, of the mental side of sport and, and digging deep. Um, and Jill, how do you reach kind of inside yourself and dig deep when you're in a difficult sort of race situation or indeed training situation? Um, yeah, that's a tricky one. Mm. I think I've always enjoyed hurting myself in training. I like the feeling of taking yourself and taking your body to those limits yeah. and seeing how far you can go. The feeling afterwards is amazing. As you guys know, there's nothing better than that feeling after a hard run session or a track session. Yeah. So I think it's years and years of just grinding out and just going through that pain barrier. I think mm. a lot of people train within their comfort zone. Like mm. they probably do their easy stuff too hard and their hard stuff too easy. Whereas my approach is very much, and obviously James's approach is very much the hard stuff is done hard and the easy stuff is done very easy. I wouldn't say it's easy day in, day out, like really grinding out and hurting yourself. I think you get used to it and you do have some days where you don't feel like doing it. Um, 
but you know your competitors are out there doing the same so why do you want to give them that advantage as well and i guess you know the harder things are in training and the more yeah. you can break down those barriers in training the racing's going to be a little bit easier so yeah so to winning the silver medal at the commonwealth in 2014 did you have to really go like the extra level of digging deep on the day yes i would say so um it was the mixed relay and it goes in the order of female male female male i went third and i think at that point i can't remember exactly but i think we were in about fifth place but at that stage we could tell that a medal was within sight so all of a sudden it felt like there was a mass more of pressure on me i actually had to take a little walk i remember before i went and like just take a deep breath and talk to myself um the run and the bike part were fine i think yeah. i raced within my means um yeah sorry the swim and the bike part yeah once i got onto the run that was tough it's only 1600 meters but i really had to talk to myself because i was yeah. with two other girls and you really have to stay in contact because if i hand over to richard who went fourth and i wasn't in contact then yeah. we're out of the race so running with those other two girls i just knew that i had to stay with them um and i just remember talking to myself and i think i got to one point and i was like okay it's only like equivalents of like 600 meters on the track that's nothing and yeah just talking to yourself yeah. that really helps because you can then refer back to those track sessions where you're at the end of a hard set and you've got i don't know 600 meters yeah. on the track and you can just refer back to that and be like you know i can do this um yeah so it was very tough but totally worth it <laughs> must have been yeah it's just such an amazing achievement yeah, I mean, when Richard came sprinting down the carpet and we were in second, uh, we, we weren't even, you know, we weren't even favourites to get a yeah. medal. So the fact that we got a silver medal was a huge bonus. So it was very, very exciting. Oh, awesome. What have you learned about yourself, Jill, by competing at such a high level? Like, do you feel you know yourself better than if you'd just sort of remained, you know, working as a lawyer throughout this time? Definitely. I can tell you as a professional or elite athlete, you fail more than you succeed. And it's how you deal with that failure and come back from it week in, week out. I mean, it's not hard. I mean, it's not easy having a bad race and then bouncing back from that bad race. You've got to arrive back at training on Monday morning, remaining positive, still with the mentality that you have to give 100% in yeah. those training sessions. To then get to your next race where you might have a really awesome race um but there's always i suppose a saying you're only as good as your next race mm -hmm. so yeah it's tricky it's taught me a lot about myself it's taught me a huge amount of how to deal with failure also i guess not um validating sport as part of yourself keeping them yeah. separate knowing that your success or failure doesn't define you as a person yeah. i'm still jill there's obviously jill the athlete and that's also where husband coach and friends come in um and i've been incredibly lucky because i've had a huge amount of support from my husband mark james as a coach my family um 
just when things aren't going well, I, su- I think it's probably more important. They're there. They don't treat you any different if you do well or if you do badly. Obviously, they're very happy for you if you do really well. But just to know that that it doesn't define me as a person, whether I've got a gold medal mm. or I've come 30th in a race. Mm. Obviously, mm. I'm a professional athlete and the purpose is for me to get a medal or do well and every race I go to that's the intention when you start on the line but that's not always what happens Mm. things various things can happen especially in triathlon I think you you also need a bit of luck and you can be unlucky stupid little things can happen like you can get dunked on the swim you can have a puncture on the bike you can crash on the bike you can mess up your transition so there are lots of little things that can happen and if you beat yourself up about those things all the time then I think you're going to battle yeah I guess for me the major one is dealing with failure um I don't think well maybe I suppose in life you do fail more than you succeed but it feels like in professional sport you definitely fail more than you succeed and I think that's also important when you do have a really good race you need to celebrate that Mm. um really enjoy it and taken in everything yeah and just don't take the failures like too personally Mm. that's really good advice do you just go back to the olympics because for us it's lovely just you know watching and telling everything i can't imagine what it's like being on the inside just share some of your memories either from london or or rio with us oh my goodness i don't even know where to start um yeah london i guess so that was my first olympics also being in my hometown was something special and as we all know Great Britain did the most awesome job of hosting those games. London was amazing. So I think one of the highlights was walking into the stadium during the opening ceremony. Right. As a little girl, I'd always watched the teams march in on my TV. So to actually be there, marching in, like waving, carrying your flag and everything, that was pretty special. Yeah, I still get goosebumps thinking back on that now unfortunately i couldn't go to the one in rio because we were racing towards the end of the game so i wasn't even there yet so i'm happy i got to go to that opening ceremony the race itself in london was ridiculous um (laughs) there were they said there were 250,000 people lining the streets the crowds were i don't know apparently there were five to seven deep james was up a lamppost because that's the only place you could see anything happening and I just remember not being able to hear anything because wow. there was just constant screaming on the course. So that was incredible. And then obviously having your family there, having loads of friends supporting you. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, just the feeling once you'd finished and you'd achieved a, what you thought was a really good result, just a feeling of satisfaction mm, and en- mm. just enjoying the rest of the games, the village um, and all of that. Uh, Sounds amazing. Yeah, Rio was, um, again, also incredible to be at a second Olympics. Mm. I don't know, you know, a lot of people don't get to go to even one Olympics, so going to two was was fantastic. For me, it was, it was a bit tough because mm. I had some personal circumstances that made it tough for me. My mother-in-law passed away two or three days before the race mm, so, so it yeah. was really tough because mark was supposed to fly out with me and james on the yeah. monday and instead yeah. he had had to fly back to south africa seen his mom and gone to her funeral within the space of a few days and then flown 
straight across the world Goodness. to come and watch me. So it was pretty emotional. Um, yeah, it didn't have the same feeling as London. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was still awesome. And my whole family again was there. But yeah, it was, it was hard. Mm. But also a wonderful experience. Very different to London. If you had to compare the two people, ask which one did you prefer? Personally, I preferred London, I think. But um, Rio was more of like a beachy party atmosphere. Very mm. different course, very tough course. And I think one of the, the things that I take away from Rio is how well I personally prepared for that course I feel like I nailed my training right. and nailed the course on the day. So yeah. from a personal perspective, I was, again, I finished at 23rd there. So four spots worse than London. I, I obviously wanted to do better than London and I didn't. But at the same time, I was happy with how I felt in the race and how I dealt with all those other circumstances mm. those few days beforehand. Because it was a hilly course, wasn't it? Yes, hilly and hot. Yeah, very hilly. <laughs> 25% gradient at the top of the hill, which I think we had to go up eight times. So oh. it was very tough. Yeah. I suppose, Joe, we're approaching now the, the finish line of this interview. Just a few more questions. Um, firstly, I suppose, what tips would you offer any any of our listeners who are inspired by what you're saying and keen to give triathlon a go? Yeah, um, triathlons are great sports. I come from a, a running and swimming background, mm. I guess, but anyone can start triathlon i mean claire you know you you acknowledge that you couldn't swim you were taught to swim and you put a lot of work into it so there's definitely no limits to be placed on people who think perhaps they can't swim yeah. or they can't cycle or they can't run you can teach or you can get a really good coach and mm. teach yourself how to do those things to me it's just a great lifestyle sport it's a great variant from running just because you know running you can get quite a lot of injuries because it you know there's a lot of impact on your joints and things Mm. so it's great from a cross training perspective because you're not pounding the pavement all the time so yeah if you're looking for something that's kinder on the body um combining all three uh yeah it's just a wonderful sport to become involved in you don't need fancy equipment when you're starting out you don't need a fancy bike if you enjoy it and you decide you want to do it more seriously then you can always get a nicer bike or join a better club get a better coach etc but it's a fun sport great to be a part of and a great community so yeah it's given me a lot in my life in terms of your sort of biggest inspiration who would you say has been most impactful in your life Oh, that's difficult. I think I've had like different ones as I've, you know, been through different phases of my of my life. From a sporting yeah. perspective, UK listeners might not be familiar with um, Penny Haynes and Ilana Mayer. They're both South African female athletes. Right. So South Africa only re-entered the Olympics in 1992. And I was 10 at the time, I think. Ilana Mayer and Penny Haynes were two pioneering athletes and... Um, they both won medals at those early Olympic Games. Penny Haynes, a swimmer, and Ilana Mayer, 10,000 meters on the track. So, yeah, I would say those were definitely my role, model, ro- role models growing up. I was lucky because Penny was actually a part of the same swimming club as me. And then Ilana Mayer 
lived in Stellenbosch, which is where I went to university. Yeah, probably them and then other role models. I don't really have any like, I suppose what you would call sports or celebrity type role models. The only other like major role model I can think in my life would be, you know, certain coaches that I've had. And the biggest one is probably Nelson Mandela for any South African. I mean, he changed everything for us in South Africa. So, yeah. Where do you see yourself when you're old and grey? Where would you like to sort of be? (laughs) Um, I hope I am still keeping very active. I would love to still be running like as old as possible. I love running. I just love the feeling of putting on my running shoes and just going out for a run, letting my mind wander and just taking in nature. I love being outside. So Mm. definitely running. I would love to still be running and keeping active, being outdoors. That would make me happy. I don't necessarily have to be doing it competitively, but Mm. so long as I'm somewhere outside with a pair of running shoes, I hope, in one piece. Yeah. Thank you so much, Jill. That was really fantastic and so interesting. No, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for having me. (laughs) To find out more about Ifley Road and our full collection of running and fitness wear, visit ifleyroad.com.